Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in to our show and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all of your kind words and encouragement. It has really helped this podcast to grant a great exposure as our mission is to create perspectives by the people who look like us and a woman and also people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify. And of course, leave a rating and a review if you like. We also welcome engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support from you to help us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under. It is October. We are days away from what Sydney side is calling Freedom Day. Helen, ridiculous. (laughs) Um, Really ridiculous considering um, it's not freedom for a lot of people. But on Monday, yeah, it's the ease of restriction. Yeah, but on Monday, there's a lot of restrictions. And also, very ambiguous about things around where we can go, what we can do, uh, meditating, masks, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I have a question. After Monday, yes. do we still have to wear masks outside? I would do so. I, I yeah. don't really. I, honestly, I don't really care about what the health orders are mm. in a sense that it protects us of course I, I don't mean that i don't care but what i mean is that a lot of things that has been said in the sense that it happens for a day it doesn't happen the next day or it happens for a week it doesn't happen the next week yeah and especially for masks i think i'll just wear it yeah. regardless and yeah. if i see a lot of people and i'll just wear it I think that makes it easier to go for rather than think, oh, I have to wear it now because the order says that I have to wear it or say, oh, the order says that I don't have to wear it and I choose not to wear it. Yeah. I think it just makes it more consistent that just have it on all the time when you're around people, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I comprehend that and I agree. I think um, what, what I'd love to start off today's chat with is the show that the entire world is talking about called squid game and if you haven't seen it i don't know where you have been been yeah so we're doing the revisit of squid game this uh, on this episode uh, we started talking about it last week because i've only watched the first episode and just went through most of the end and i finished my last episode last night mm. so i mean i don't even know where to begin it's nine um, episodes as we have said in the past um episode it's basically a drama slash sort of sadistic um kind of social commentary on <laughs> the state of like um south korea at the moment and it really centers on the people who are who have found themselves in great debt and it kind of has this commentary on so many different aspects of society like when these people go into these games um they do it by choice because they're betting their lives literally when you lose a game there are six games in total when you lose a game you actually die in a really brutal violent way and so for me it was such great kind of compodium our observation about like different class social dynamics in South Korea and like how within the game you see aspects of society come up like you see 
a woman sell her body, you know, have sex for a guy and then they bargain, you know, you give me clues about the next game and I'll give you sex. Um, there are soldiers in there who, I mean, of course, um, if you haven't seen it, just, you know, massive spoiler alert. There's a scene, it's really actually quite distressing, but anyway, there's a scene where uh, this one of the soldiers talks about how there were like I won't use the word here because I don't want it to trigger anyone, but like taking advantage um, of a like dead woman's body while they're like about to go and incinerate her body, and the ways in which like the alpha male in the game is also representative of the alpha male outside of society. So you have these tropes. You have like the kind of shrill older woman you have like an alpha male gangster man and then you have ji hung at the center who is the protagonist of the tale um he's number four five six he's the very last competitor so all the competitors are numbered um i just found i think the most the most shocking and unbelievable and kind of life shaking scene for me was the tug of war scene in i think it was episode three honestly like i think it stopped at episode three and then it continued for episode four so you see what happens but it was like the biggest cliffhanger i have ever sat through and honestly i just felt this sense of like absolute horrifying um sort of horrifying um i don't even know how to put it like absolute like i was so wanting them to win because like um that game you think of tug of war and you think oh, of, of obviously you need to be the one who has the most strength mm-hmm. but what what ends up happening what ends up saving the day for the team that we're behind is the old man's wisdom and then combined with one of the um friends and his um idea at the last minute to like let go really quickly take three steps forward and then like kind of pull like throw the opponent offside and then do what they ended up doing. It was seriously, I fucking, my mind was blown. I have never. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You've already jumped to the episode three. That's okay. Now I'll just quickly talk about that episode, that scene of my thoughts about that scene. And then I'll go back to talk about my ideas about the overall Squid Game. The tug of war was absolutely. I think that will be like a number one moment in mm. TV history, how the director and the screen, uh, screenwriter have set up and display the clip henner mm. and that build up to that momentum, the climax, and then it cuts off right at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I have ever felt that kind of adrenaline yeah. for a very, very long time. Exactly. For watching TV. Yeah, I know, me too. It was so extreme. To the point that my, <laughs> I'm going to put it into the context for everyone to understand. My hands were like sweating like waterfall. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, I know. Me too. I I was like, I found myself, Helen, I found my, because I watched it alone. I found Gosh. myself literally holding my breath. Oh my like, goodness. like I was like choking. I was like, I was like choking. <laughs> it was so good. I don't think that. Any other moment in television that could display that kind of, that has actually conveyed that kind of message and that kind of feeling to millions, possibly billions of people around the globe, that well, it, it was done extremely well yeah. in the sense that it built up to the momentum. But, and then again, because we watched it, we start watching TV when we were really young and it kind of goes back to a lot of our childhood memories when we were watching movies or TV series. They used to do this kind of technique 
the cliffhanger. Right, right, right. Where you, you just cut at the very end of the episode and yeah. then you have to wait for another week until the yeah. next one. Whereas Netflix, you know, you gasp for like two seconds yeah. and you can press for, you can press next episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. What, what happened. Well, that's what, that's what we did because we watched the next five minutes of the, <laughs> the show. Yeah. Of course, spoiler alert. Um, if you haven't seen it, honestly, go and see it first. Yeah. They come back to this episode. We see what happens, and I'm like, oh, and I'm relieved now. Okay, I'm going, I can go yeah. to sleep. Also, I know that the main guy. Um, I knew that he. Um, I knew that he would survive the whole thing. Yeah, I can't, because he's a central character. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of, but even then, I was still like, seriously, it was just. Yeah, it, it was done very, oh, very well. Yeah, because, like, I think I also felt so invested in them and absolutely, like, ecstatic at wanting them to win. And when they did win, I was ecstatic because, like, um, as a woman, I know that if I I was a man, okay, and I was wanting to win a game where on the surface level, obviously, like, your strength is what you need. Uh, like, I wouldn't pick myself because I don't have, like, as a woman, I'm not, I know that a lot of women out there are much stronger than men. I know that. But average population-wise, men can, they have more muscles and they have more, like, strength than the average woman. And and so, like, um, for me to see, like, three women on a team with an old man beat a whole group of middle-aged men, strong men-looking men, um, is just so, like, it was almost, it felt like Hillary winning um, against Trump. It's like that same kind of, yeah. like... David versus Goliath. Yeah, kind of thing, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I was so invested in them winning. So coming back to the overall uh, drama, I think uh, Squid Game reflects on, the like, the survival of Korean confronting through colonisation. That's my feeling, mm. war and also economic impacts that leaves people to resort to like killing each other to stay alive. Uh, it kind of remind me uh, one of the Chinese author Lu Xun's Madman Diary. Uh, I probably have mentioned this before in our previous podcast, uh, where he in his Madman's Diary referring to how Chinese history always replaced a limelight or moral justice and kindness. Ambivalence, but in fact, in the reality, it's more like a cannibalism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, human eats human, but you really have to step on another person in able to get a, a, on top of you know to, for survival. Yeah, you know, he, he kind of indicating the satires how the society is very hypocritical in promoting justice and morality, but in reality, that those aspects are very difficult to achieve when the power structure is highly balanced. Yeah. I love that also in the first two episodes, uh, there was there were some people who got shot. Oh, no, I know. There was one episode where the doctor, you know there's a doctor who's like yes. who chums up with the gangster. He kind of um, gets – so so kind of like a sub-story, subplot of contestants in the game is that the, um, the soldiers themselves are, are conspiring – their own kind of secret mission where they like take the dead bodies and they um steal them yeah Yeah. they steal them and and then they um get the doctor to extract the organs so i thought that was a really great kind of exhibition or like an insight into the massive black market trafficking of um of organs in in asia in south america everywhere around the world and um 
what they strike up the deal with the doctor, who's one of the contestants, is that um, they'll give him a clue if they help him. And then what ends up happening is the doctor is killed because the um, front man, as he's called, the kind of manager of the game, um, he yeah he says that um, in this game, in this world, everyone is equal. No one has an advantage. And what's so kind of ironic is that um, there is no such thing as equality. You know, like like the gangster is much stronger and so he gets to win in the games where, like, strength is an advantage. And, you know, the I, I actually love um, the second game, the um, the honeycomb one. Yes. It was so good because it was, like, nothing to do with strength or, like, physical, physical ability. It was it was kind of, like, based on your luck and then, you know, based on, I guess, at because the end. Yeah, yeah, at the end, um, you know, with yeah. Ji Hoong, like, kind of realising if he licks it, it'll melt the honeycomb. That was, like, I think one of my favourite games, the tug-of-war followed by the honeycomb excellent games mm-hmm. yeah i think when we're focusing on the games itself mm. the whole overall game is a deadly brutal game but that using children's game mm. my own theory is that it kind of indicates the competition starts from childhood oh absolutely i love that right from the moment yep. that you know how to walk and then the very end game which is called the squid game in Korea that they play in the shape of squid where they have to get from one end to the another end. The concept is pretty much like, you know, mm. the tag, sorry, mm. is tagging someone else. But you do it in a very violent way that you need to push and shove to get to the other end. It really reflects on the reality of the end of life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have so many questions. First of all, Helen, what was my obviously I you know what my favorite game was. It was Tug of War. Like that was my favorite scene. Did you have a favorite game? Did you have a favorite episode? Uh, I think my favorite episode would be the Tug of War one as well because that just got to the point that just like I said before, it's just a very historical moment for television, I think. Yeah. Um and another scene that I enjoyed quite a lot which I think one of the things that t- television or any artistic work does is that how it can go right into your heart and torn it out. Yeah. Um, the moment, one of the other moments will be the game where they play marbles. Yeah, yeah. That was um, an excruciating episode. That was a very upsetting and extremely well done in the point that it really shows the true reality of humanity as well because you can see how people compete with each other. Initially, they thought that they team up with their teammate. Yeah. They're going to compete with someone else. Yeah. But in fact, they are competing with their teammates, mm. which means that they need to erase their teammate in order to get ahead. Yeah. And you can see the, the main three uh, groups Three couples, which is uh, Song Wu with his um, Pakistani friend, friend Ali. Yeah, Ali, and I'll talk about Ali a little bit uh, later. And there's the uh, two girls. Yeah, one who was the North Korean defector, and yep. the other one's like a she just came out from jail. I think she was uh, like a homicide. Uh, she came out from a very disastrous domestic violence situation. Uh, situation yeah, yeah she just popped out of nowhere i really liked her i really yeah, liked her yeah, she yeah, was yeah. very like she's actually a very popular uh celebrity in korea oh okay uh, yeah and another one the, the final group of course is jin Hoon with uh the old man yeah who he befriended with at the very early on stage of the game yeah can i just yeah. say helen that um there was another man who was 
asking Jing Hun to go with him. And then when <laughs> I'm gonna start crying, so I'm just gonna like move out of <laughs> move out of the camera so Helen doesn't see me cry. But like um when Jing Hun um <laughs> Oh yeah, I swear I am like the I am like the softest chicken in the whole world. I can't say anything without crying. Um, you know that scene where um he ends up choosing the old man and then you see his hand reach out to the old man? I friggin oh, I friggin lost it. I was just like, this is so this is so heartening. You know? Yeah, it's so heartening. They have no idea what's coming up for the the actual game. They just they you know, when you are asked <laughs> <laughs> Jess just came back to the camera with full smiling face. Um, when you don't know what the game's going to be involved, you always thought that, okay, my teammate is going to be someone that I work with. Yeah, exactly. Not yet. Against, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was a big revolution when they realized they have to take it down their the, teammate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The person they love the so most. heartbreaking. Yeah. That game had two heartbreaking uh, moments. Firstly, was the girls who were sharing their um actually all three were hard yeah i have to say yeah can can i say yeah before you talk about the two um i'd love to jump on the um betrayal of um of sung bike um and ali because like mm-hmm. they 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 formed such a close friendship yes and then what we see is like the very first time sung bike um ends up like um Sun Wu, yeah, Sun Wu, yeah. yeah, that's the first betrayal. So we see his demise because later on in the other episodes he starts killing people, like he starts getting worse and worse with his crimes. Yeah. But that was yeah. the first time where he like betrayed his friend because he hid in they he hid the marbles um in his own pocket, like he took them away from Ali, and then like put rocks inside Ali's, and then Ali was like completely trusting of him. And then that was like his biggest betrayal. Like, yeah, he he um felt like he had to do that in order to live. And but it was really like sad because he's deep down we know he's a good man, a mm-hmm. good person. Yeah, yeah. I think he must have. I can't imagine the people who's in the game how much struggles that you have to go through psychologically. Yeah. And also, <laughs> now I gotta cry myself. Yeah. <laughs> And I think um, that was the first one. And the second one will be between the girls who, when they realize that they're going up against each other. Yeah. I think they were, both of them had the heart of gold. They, they just didn't want to compete. Yeah, exactly. They, they said that, okay, they just went into the very final moment and we'll have one game and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like who's going to be the winner rather than multiple games going back and forth. Yeah, and like hurting yeah. each other. Yeah, and they start sharing their story. Why were they there? Yeah. What were they going to do if they win the game? Yeah. And <laughs> now I'm going to cry myself. The girl who decided that she would lose, she actually told <laughs> she actually told Sun Buk, which is the North North Korean defector girl, saying that, yeah, go on, you can take this, you can take, the, if you win, take the money and look after your family, your family because yeah. you do have a purpose outside of the game, whereas she doesn't feel like she has any purpose outside of the game. Yeah. Yeah, that was really heartbreaking. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> and, it was horrifyingly heartbreaking. I I was like sobbing my eyes out. Yeah, and the final one was really heartbreaking. One was between uh, In Noon, the old man, and Ji Hoon. You can tell that they both. Well, I think the old man. I won't want to spoil it for everyone because towards the end of the very final 
uh, episode, you'll find out what happens. Yeah, the old man. Yeah, but at the scene of the marble, there was a, there was a moment that Ji Hoon trick the old man. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. Because he is like losing his mind. He's got Alzheimer's and stuff. He thinks that he's losing his mind, so he's taking advantage of the old man and saying that, "Oh, didn't you say that it? You said odd." Yeah. or even number yeah. or you bet the wrong number or something yeah, yeah, like that yeah. but when he was cheating him the old man act as if that he was it, it was normal it was okay yeah but he kind of flipped around and told him at the last moment that he he knows that he cheated him but he still went with it yeah yeah when you know when he, he was giving him the last marble yeah but yeah that was a moment of total like right yeah i have to say yeah yeah um i think my favorite like outside of the tug of war scene i think the most beautiful and kind of sincere and sort of truthful scene was the scene and the story of the two girls and Mm -hmm. they're kind of like 10 they had 10 minutes in which to build this relationship and they sat and they talked seriously helen that is like the best representation of and symbolism of what women of like the beauty and the greatness and why women are supposed to rule the world because we're just like we're we're better at kind of just like seeing the humanity in each other yeah. rather than fucking trying to kill each other mm-hmm. you know and 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 i thought that it was so beautiful the way that they just sat and they were calm and then they just wanted to know more about each other and um the way in which the um the other girl she was just like oh let's pretend like when we get out of here let's drink cocktails in Tahiti or something like that. Like just their sort of, I just found in the humanity of these two girls so much more beauty and so much more symbolism of what women can do, like, and what women are all about. And seriously, it's just like, it was so heartbreaking when she died. It was, I I didn't want to talk about how, when, what happened and what she said, because I'm just going to lose it. (laughs) But honestly, it's, um, it was so good. Yeah. The marble game, I really didn't, it was so upsetting that episode. It was yeah. So freaking upsetting. Yeah, I think because both of them know that they're facing potential death, and the calmness is just—I I can't find any other I know. word. That yeah. Can yeah, 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 exactly. The calmness that they know they're facing the reality compared to the all the chaotic of other groups that are trying desperately to win. Yeah, really display a very, very strong contrast. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's also the game where a lot of our main ca- characters, the characters who we've built an affection for, are killed off. You know, the old man yes. is killed off. Ali's killed off. Uh, we see like um, sort of. It was such a moment in the series first first season at least where people we see people really change because they're forced yeah. to. Yeah, I want to talk about Ali for a brief moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the first time I've seen. Southeastern character in Korean drama. Yeah. Like, I don't watch a lot of Korean dramas, but for a North Asian dramas, you don't, you hardly see a lot of people of color. Yeah. Yeah. Very white and Western adjacent. So they might have Western characters, but they barely. I, this is the, actually the first one. And I think he did, the actor who played Ali did so well. Yeah. Yeah. In displaying the desperate the humbleness he's mm. so humble yeah, because yeah. he's like he's realizing that his position even in korean society is much Lola. lower yeah than exactly else. he yeah. keeps calling everyone sir yeah. Adam. yeah 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 
And thank you. He keeps bowing yes. and thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that really so, broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? I think there's a symbolism of colonization where towards the final two games, you see the VIPs. Yes. They're Can I, all white people. Yes, they're all white people. And also um, one of them reminded me of Harvey Weinstein. Yes, the fat one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's disgusting and gross. Fucking hell. <laughs> and also there's another symbolism of corrupt system uh, where we have a character of police who somehow intertwine into the game. He's yeah. trying to search for the Wait. truth. His brother uh, was lost. Yeah, and he's trying to look for his lost brother. It kind of signified the political activist, but he found out that his own brother is... Was the front man. Yeah, oh, I just spoiled it. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of twist the corrupted society. Yeah. So the money and the power been, have overthrown the justice. They don't have a morality. Um, everything in civilization is supposed to be established on is pretty much trashed uh, through power and money. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like the actor who played the policeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very I handsome. Think he was, he's in other dramas. He's pretty well known as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suspect, yeah. Yeah. Coming back to talk about the female characters, I actually looked up if there's any articles or reviews about Squid Game. When I looked up the female characters in Squid Game, it's so interesting how yeah. uh, Westerners, uh, they wrote about criticising how Squid Game didn't ha give enough uh, time or exposure for the female characters okay. in the Squid Game and they don't really go into uh, in detail of what we just talked about, the friendship and the calmness that and also the brave raw characteristics of the females they just talk about how squid game didn't give enough time for the or they didn't give enough exposure or there's no enough female characters in the in the show i thought that was quite funny in the sense that white people uh they jumped onto the point and they jump onto the point to point out asians or arts by people of colour saying that, oh, you lack this, you lack that, but they don't, they rarely look at their own issues. Like, for yeah. example, if you look up female characters in Hollywood, you, the Google search engine results will come up as, oh, top 50 uh, female or brave female characters in Hollywood. But whereas uh, you Google uh, female characters in Squid Game, it's the first article comes up will be like criticising how lack of time they have spent for the female characters. Right, right. I think that um, I was trying to think about it in a very feminist perspective as well, like think about the show from a feminist yeah. angle. And I think that um, there is no doubt that uh, most of the airtime is taken by male characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but there is something to be said of the way in which, I don't know, like I think um, – I actually, you know, the 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 sort of like, um, well, she's made out to be this slutty middle aged woman, the one who has sex with the gangster, the really, yeah, true, the really like, yeah, the yeah. really like annoying one that she's kind of screaming at everyone. I actually really liked her, like even though she was really irritating, she was like really kind of gun ho and unapologetic and kind of really. Yes behaving like I guess like what a normal man would do I really liked I really liked her sort of um, unapologetic nature like she's just gonna do what she wants to do and get her trying to survive basically I, I kind of actually even though I found her kind of irritating at times um, overall I found her actually quite a good character yeah I think that's what that's because what happens to her 
Oh at yes, the, at the one of the game. I think the last one. Oh no, no, the ninth one, the ninth the game. Yeah, yeah, the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that was such a good game, by the way. Yeah, that was so when good. She sacrificed herself to kill the gangster. Out. Yeah, yeah. I love so that. that's kind of like a revenge. Yeah. But at the same time, she she revenge. She's revenge for one person. She didn't take out any other. You see, all the female characters. I don't think. Yeah, all the female characters haven't taken out of anyone. They do not desire to take out. Yeah, like they don't kill. They don't murder people, basically. Yeah, yeah. You and know, she knows that if by taking out the gangster, it makes it more righteous in the sense that other people who yeah. have better conscience to win the yeah. game to win the money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I, one of the scenes, I think in the end of the second episode, where like in the evening they have a big riot in the evening during the night. Remember that? And there's like flashes. That scene went on for like about ten minutes, and I skipped that scene because I just was not. That was a very triggering. I scene hate, I hate violence, so I couldn't watch that scene at all. Yeah, that was so triggering and so real. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's the thing with the Korean drama. Um, Everything looks horrifyingly real. That's why I couldn't watch it. Uh, Anything else that you want to add? I think that's that's pretty much... I cannot wait for season two. (laughs) I don't know how it's going to be better than season one, honestly. Like, the stakes can't be higher than they have already been. But it's just the best, honestly. Like, I've been telling everyone, it's the best thing I've seen ever. Like, ever. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty unusual for you because you hardly watch Asian... Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that the whole world is looking at Korea right now. Honestly, yeah, I think it's so um, important because of Squid Game. A lot of shares of Korean industries have jumped. Like, yeah, like ninety percent. Yeah, good, good, good. I feel like um, Korea is experiencing the kind of heightened fanaticism that Japanese cinema got in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and I just hope yeah. that you know the wealth that they will be receiving, or hopefully, I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably going to end up like Squid Game as well, but the wealth and the attention could be distributed more equally. Yeah, like I mean, it's really reflecting of what's happening in Korea. For example, the parasite as well, the disparity in I guess not only Korea but a lot of societies. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's take a break and we'll be coming back to our topic today on Girl Boss. Yeah. So, Girl Boss, Helen. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard of the term Girl Boss. Um, first of all, let's explain. Girl Boss is like this term in which like basically given to mainly white CEOs of like big tech corporate companies. Um, girl boss is this term given to basically female CEOs who have um, represented for a lot of women in the last few years. I guess the f- major um, example epitome of girl boss is like Sheryl Sandberg, the, the woman who is married to um, Adam Newman, What's her name? Rebecca Newman, you know, um, of like WeWork. Um, Helen, who, which other girl bosses can you think of from the top of your head? Well, I've been falling into the trap of girl boss before. Like we said, uh, a couple of articles that I've read, I think they pointed out, for example, Hillary Clinton is one of them, Camilla mm-hmm. Harris, where they're just uh, on the very 
pinnacle top of power. Male power, basically. Male power. Typical yeah. male power, yeah. But they don't necessarily lift all the women. As in, they used the feminism, the turn, to get on top of their own personal interest yeah. in the capitalism world. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. I have to point out capitalism is a very big uh, element in girl boss. Yeah, girl bosses are basically women who have benefited from the patriarchy or like have played the game, so to speak, played the games, um, have managed to navigate their way to the top in a very male structured structure, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to talk about the cuts article because I, I haven't got the chance to read Oh, that. yeah, that's okay. Um, so basically um, the article talks about how the terminology for girl boss is no longer something that is we use um, in a kind of reverence kind of um, way. The article talks about the way in which in the last couple of years a lot of girl bosses, um, a lot of white women who have led multinational corporations in the US have been like have resigned or have been like fired or have been taken down very much the way that set of our premier, our former premier Gladys Berejiklian has um, encountered. Um, it's kind of uh, when I read it, I thought about the ways in which like women in powers, in positions of these kind of powers are never kind of um, treated the same way that men are. So, for instance, like um, a lot of men leading, a lot of typical CEOs in the world commit a lot of crime and still refuse to step down. But the moment a woman makes a tiny mistake and it's never like as sort of severe or like open or like explicitly criminal as the men, she's kind of like forced out. Because, like, the standards upon which she is um, forced to meet are so much higher, so much more cruel than the standards that we expect from men or, like, at least we tolerate from men. And so, like, at the end of the article, she talks about how um, we need a better model because, like, you know, four, five, six years ago, I was, like, even when I was a teacher at a girls' private school in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, I remember thrusting on to a young Asian girl in year six, um, Lean In, the book, because I was just so inspired by it. I was like, this is so great. you got to read it. And she was, like, this bookish kind of beautiful, smart girl who just, like, one of those Asian girls who does everything and also was, like, super charismatic and sweet. I remember thrusting lean in into her in the library one day and say saying you got to read this because I remember um, how much it had helped me back then. But that model of girl boss and the template for for that kind of position in society is no longer something that we want to get our girls to pursue. You know, because we know kind of in a way now that they're often doomed to fail. You know, there's that glass cliff that often ends up happening which is like common what we see for instance in the netflix show the chair which um sandra o's character is kind of like a woman of color thrust into a position of power within a department that's already failing that often happens in real life Mm -hmm. i don't think that i totally agree with what you said but i don't totally i don't disagree as well i think the part i i disagree is that we are we're definitely more, the society is more scrutinizing the female more harshly. Mm. That's what I think. But at the same time, women are being uh, scrutinized more harshly. Let's talk about specifically this female CEOs who call themselves girl boss is because 
when you're using the term feminism to pursue a goal in a capitalist world, but at the same time, you're only focusing on the capitalism, but not at the actual movement of the feminism. Um, people ask whether or not you're a double standard because we know that um, the woman who coined the term is, uh, what's her name, Sophia Amoruso. M- mm-hmm. She has been allegedly, you know, like terminating unfairly the employees who were on maternity leave right. yeah, yeah, and yeah. were cases of, the, the CEO, a couple of CEOs doing, there were sexual harassments, they were unfair dismissals, and also they're being racist at workplace as well. So yeah. we're talking about pretty much the the idea of white feminism. They're actually just benefiting themselves yeah. and not uplifting the rest of the woman. The, mm. Not all women, so it's not actually a feminism. It reminded me that how... <laughs> I'm just going to go back and talk about Shrew again because how much I love that show. Helen loves Shrew so much. Uh, remember there was an episode on season two, Why Ham? Yeah. Women are having a moment. It's like a monetized feminism. Um, conference? Yeah, the yeah, conference. It's basically taking the, sh- yeah, it's taking the uh, shit out of goop, basically, with Paltrow's yeah. goop. I love it. <laughs> Where they only have T-shirts that are in size eight or under yeah i know it's so i swear it's like anyone who's a goop is not feminism no of goop course not. It's is aesthetically... white white richness basically yeah. <laughs> so goop was it's kind of like the atlantic one of the articles said that instead of dismantling the power men had long wield in america korea women could simply take it for themselves in the office we have fallen into this trap of picking up books from Shara Sandberg, uh, where you, they say lean in, but they don't really dismantle the system. Yeah, exactly. Work, work along what the system told them to do. Yeah. Like work as high as possible, then you can get on the top, but not helping up each other. You're still using the same method of all the other men that yeah. were dominating the power, like oppressing other people. Yeah. And not really care about what others think. Also, I feel like the the philosophy of lean in is so insulting because um, it doesn't actually acknowledge the reality of racism and ableism and disableism, you know, like ableism, obviously, yeah. Just like I have in my life leaned in and only to be penalised, realising that white people are very, very uncomfortable with an Asian woman who has a voice or who demands to be heard with the same respect as yeah. and dignity as a normal white person. Honestly, Helen, if I have to hear another person tell me I'm ambitious, I'm going to fucking scream and punch them in the face. Honestly, I cannot tell you, Helen, how many times a day I'm still called ambitious. I'm still called by white people. You have ambition. You're ambitious. I, I acknowledge your ambition. Um... I get this left, right, and center, and I'm so freaking tired of it. It is so insulting to call someone ambitious, especially when they're a woman, because you're basically saying, pointing out to them something that's bizarre about them, I think. It's like, yeah. it's like, oh, what is, like, it's, it's the point, the fact that you're pointing it out to me means that you think it is something unique about me, that I basically want something. You know that I have dreams and aspirations. Um, have do you often get caught ambitious? I don't get caught ambitious. Oh, okay. I, I don't 
I think uh, I've been called radical uh, when I speak about issues in, on feminism. Uh, and I just thought that, what's so radical about it? I'm just pointing out what the fuck is going on wrong. Yeah, well, the, the, the people who call you radical are obviously just deeply um, discriminatory. Because like if you um because I don't think you have radical views. I think you just have a view where you see you try and see um and you try and treat everyone um as they are. Yeah. You know? Uh yeah, I just find it so insulting when people use the word ambitious on me. And it's often older people and they're often and it's always been white people who have called me ambitious. It's like they're trying to point out that I shouldn't have these dreams, that I shouldn't be someone who yearns for something. You know, like, um, I swear, if, if I was in a body of a man and I was white, I would not be called ambitious. It's so bizarre. And it's just so irritating. It's irritating. It's bizarre. It's horrifyingly discriminatory and insulting to me. And I, I like any listeners out there who have been called ambitious, please like send me a DM or something. Or actually, no, I never check my Instagram anymore. But like send, um, Helen at Asian Bitches Down Under. Tell us your experience of, you know, being called ambitious. It's just like such a slap in the head, I think. Yeah. It's like when you want to do what you want to do, but at the same time being called ambition mm. to indicate like, oh, you're not supposed to be like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like pointing out that it's kind of like subtly putting my putting me in my place. Mm. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. Uh, Lee Stein says that by presenting gender disparities in workplace as a war to be fought on the personal level. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg allowed women to feel like they were activists whenever they advocate for themselves. When they advocated for themselves, it's inspiring to feel like you're on the right side of the good cause, like you're a part of history making. Sandberg invite readers mm-hmm. to ask themselves, how can I make the system work better for me instead of who is the system designed to work for? She yeah. gave women the permission to divine feminism on their own terms, ushering the cotton candy pink epic of girl box. A lot of people who have fallen into the idea of girl boss because of the aesthetic impression that is churned out through Instagram in the past 10 years, then uh, a lot of social media platforms. And I don't see there's a change uh, from the magazines that we were reading when we were growing up. Yeah. It's pretty much still centering on a very group of subpopulation that are very privileged, white. Um, not saying that they don't have the good ideas to improve society, but some of them have used the term girl boss to replace the actual, true actual meaning of feminism. Yeah. Like this sticker label and it's becoming like a brand. It's becoming like a marketing strategy. It's becoming like a fashion trend and an yeah. actual movement. When I was reading all these um, articles, there was, he talked about a couple of corporations apart from the Nasty Girls uh, by Sophie Amoruso. There's another one called The Wing, which is the co-working space. They charge monthly fees for networking and feminized workplace with beauty rooms and shower rooms with Chanel products. You're kidding. It's, Chanel me, products? It just sounds like it's only accessible for a certain class and certain race of people. Yeah, eastern suburbs women. <laughs> um, yeah, like I'm thinking also the term shit girl boss is like she-e-o, you know, the, ter- okay, the way yeah, in which we kind of infantilize 
um, the language around the description of women, um, you know, girl boss. Why can't we just call her a, a woman leader? Or not even a woman, just a freaking leader, right? Um, yeah. The point, the fact of pointing out her gender is, I think, I don't know, I'm not too sure about what to think about that. I mean, obviously, you know, we should celebrate women in leadership positions. However, what, what Helen has pointed out as well, like before, was whenever I see these kind of women in top positions in the cover of like business insider or something they're often like often most of the time very skinny very well put together tailored suits and all that and their hair is perfect and they're always blonde for some reason i mean um the wing wing works that you were talking about i think that was the product of that was the um child baby of um rebecca newman who's married to adam newman two of the most like bizarre people in the universe like i've read so many articles about these newmans i think they have like five or six kids uh they're just oh my god th- that world is so fucking weird they're so weird that that couple they just like have made their way to the top in such a strange way and then now they're accused of different kind of fraud and different kind of white collar crimes but yeah i feel like any space that doesn't include space where it's accessible by all women you know disabled women trans women um, women of color women on the poverty line um it is not a space that i want to be celebrating i think personally speaking of the way there's something else as well how they use performative racial justice to make themselves look good where they employ a uh, woman of color but they most of them will be working the front desk uh, washing dishes and even scrub toilets and they've been described and treated like the help by the actual members who hire the, the co-working places mm. and also they at the same time these people uh, woman of color they were used to be like a model for yeah. their marketing projects yeah. and wearing the joy of sisterhood t-shirts oh my god <laughs> that is so yes. that is so um fucked up yeah. also very funny uh-huh. very yeah. funny they also used a lot of social justice in terms to make themselves look good uh for example there's a I'm not quite sure if it's the WIM, but one of the corporations that have donated for the Black Lives Matter, yeah. but they're under scrutiny of not paying their own employees enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So everything is, like, superficial. People do yeah. things so superficially, yeah. you know. It's very superficial. It's like rebranding their capitalist pursuits for as, a, like, a gender equality activism yeah. um, to put on, like, a like a cover, like a mask exactly. to make themselves look good. But in <sighs> terms of that, in reality, that there's a lot of flaws underneath. God, this is such an exhausting world to live in. Can I just say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to be a woman. Yeah. I found there's a quote from Audre Lorde's uh, 1984's essay that's quite relevant for this discussion. Uh in her essay, she said that master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, where how she uh, talks about that the system of like white supremacy and patriarchy perpetuate themselves and how difficult it is to break them apart for the master's tools will never dismantle master's house. Yeah. Uh, they will allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but in reality, we'll, uh, they will never enable us 
to bring about the genuine change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you dare try to, you just get punished or penalised,、mm-hmm. honestly. <sighs> so all these articles I've read is saying that using the term girl boss is not a very ideal term anymore. Yeah. And also, but、uh, what's the word like? Infantilize. Infantilize. That's right. Yeah, infantilized、uh, your position, as in saying that you're a boss, but you also use the word girl,、yeah, as in exactly presenting yourself to prevent threats to the patriarchy and make yourself look likable. Yeah, you know? exactly. The girl. Saying that you're a girl, infantilize yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's really trying to、um, deflect the threat that men feel towards you because, you know, I I feel like the men with the smallest penises are the men who are threatened by a very very powerful, strong, intelligent, good-looking woman. Honestly, and I have to say,、um, the good-looking part is a big thing. Like men, men are so invested in their phalluses and their ability to kind of like. Trump the kind of win the war when it comes to sexually acquiring or appealing to the opposite sex. If you're like um, if you're smart, articulate, powerful, like um, very very kind of dim- powerful in the sense that you speak up when you want to speak up, and you if you're attractive, like as in conventionally attractive, that is like the triple fucking quadruple threat for men. I feel like um, the men with the with the smallest dicks out there are the ones who who can't reconcile. Such a woman and can't treat her like a normal human being because they feel threatened by her, what she represents, and like how diminished they feel alongside her. I just like have thought, like I off the top of my head, Helen, I can think of so many men I've dated in the past, not even dated, like went on one or two dates, where like they were. Like really uncomfortable with I'm like I'm not saying I'm like you know a supermodel men who seem to like openly pretend to be feminists、um, on the outside but then like fucking ghost you、um, yeah. or like just like tr- not treat you like a real human being with dignity dignity so I swear if if someone if a guy out there like ghosts you or like obviously doesn't get back to you、um, within like say 24 hours if you've asked them a question or like a d- on a date or something. Or a catch up. Seriously, they are just someone who is not worth your time. They 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 don't have dignity and respect towards you. And I just know so many smart, beautiful women out there who get treated like this by men with small dicks. Basically, honestly, <laughs> I think we have to really use it as a way to think more critically about how the social movement movements are structured, constructed, and. What they're really trying to achieve.、Uh, if we can't really use girl boss this kind of model, we really want like a positive change. We need to stand for all women, not just the privileged few. Yeah, I think Helen. What do you think is the future of like I don't know women who want to succeed in that kind of pathway to corporate power? If 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 we don't have that model, or what 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 should a young girl now aspire to? Oh, it's really hard to say because I never really involved in corporate world that much, and I never really thought about going to corporate world. Yeah, and girl boss has pretty much just used,、uh, you know, appropriated feminism and use it as a lens to kind of exemplify the ideal life of corporate world. And I don't really think that's an ideal model in the sense that not everyone wants to be in the corporate world, and not everyone wants to be. That kind of success, yeah. You know, and we shouldn't be looking at 
we shouldn't be just looking at the term success and you immediately think a white woman in the corporate world because there's so much there's so much meanings in success. Mm. Unfortunately, if by using just one model, you kind of fall into the trap and falling blindly just to follow someone else's success. I yeah. think um, because it has been used. You know, like girl power, girl boss. It's been used for a lot of like multi-layer marketing strategy to show the aesthetic impression. Yeah. But in reality, it's it's not like that. Yeah. Like I always say that we have to really look into the intersectionalities, and it is definitely very difficult. I don't want to really get into the politics side because the politician side because they're more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Insane. With a corporate world, I don't know. What do you think? I can't. I find it hard to speak about this. Also, like thinking about the future, because I don't see a better future for women in the corporate world、um, in leadership positions until like、um, men change. Until、yeah. the the people who actually control things, the movers and the people who control the gears within the corporate capitalist. Structures until they are kind of shifted away, or until they have this massive revolution, then then nothing will change. I think so. I can't see further than that.、Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be like a total overhaul of the toxic characteristics in the management. Yeah, yeah. Because what happens with girl bosses is that they're still using the very same managerial styles to lead the team, and there's. Nothing that is really different from what we've seen, what the man has been doing for the past decades. Mm, mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay,、uh, so that's the end of our episode. Before we go, I, I just want to share comments that we've received from our listeners.、Um, it's so great. It always motivates us when we receive a nice comment. Yes.、Um, About our podcast,、uh, Blue Sky Won't See. Thank you again for sending us the DM.、Uh, they say that I'm behind with my podcast listening on your episode eighty. I can't tell you how much life I get from your conversations, fearless, frank, and refusing the silence and darkness which taboos cast over women's lived experience. I look up to you so much, and it's so heartwarming to get a、um, comment like this because. For me, I'm just sharing what I think, and this is a platform that we finally can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Honestly, I just、um, feel so buoyed by the effort that people go to to, you know, just send us a small message like this one to tell show us that there's support. It really means a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five star rating, and we welcome listeners to send our feedback or any topics you would like us to explore. Check our updates on socials and make sure you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under and continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's the end today. Nice chatting to you, Jess.、And、Likewise, we'll Helen, and I'll see you in person very soon. Yeah, in person very soon. Okay, we'll chat next time. Bye. Take care. Bye.